Hello and welcome to the Real Life Business Podcast. I'm your host, Claire Markwick, a business coach and money mentor to the busy business mum looking to find more confidence, clarity and calm amid this crazy thing we call life. Now, once you're done listening here, be sure to head on over to my socials at clairemarquick.reignite and let me know what you've loved about this episode. But right now, let's get into it. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Real Life Business Podcast. And we are back this week with another pro tips episode mixed in with some real life stories with my guest this week, Reese Bauer. Now, Reese is the co-founder of Bauer Woods Lawyers in Wagga Wagga, New South Wales, and I would describe him as not your average legal brain. His journey of starting his own firm has, in, its own, in his own words, been windy and unorthodox, and his career to date has been a varied one. Reese is a dad always looking for ways to make things better, including the way that law firms are perceived. And I'm going to leave that to him to talk to us a bit more about. So, Reese, Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you describe your journey as windy and unorthodox. So why don't we start off by hearing a bit more about that story and how you came to be doing what you're doing right now? Oh, look, when I get asked this question, I, I really need to check myself and take some parts of the journey out because it is quite a, a, long, a long story with many parts to it, some of which aren't particularly interesting. But um, when I... When I finished school, I did some travelling and then came back to Australia and being overseas, people say, oh, you know, if you get a degree, you can get a visa for anywhere. Well, back in the late 90s, that was the um, that was the word on the street. So I, having left having left Canberra in whatever year it was, I'd, I'd applied for a bunch of different engineering courses or pretty much as long as I said engineering on the end of it, um, I applied for it, mechatronic, computer, civil I can't even remember I don't even know, really know <laughs> if I knew what I was doing but it was just what you did if you're back then anyway if you're a bloke and you were good at maths you became an engineer yeah um, so that was my path but I got back from this trip overseas and just thought oh, I just want to get a degree in something and go traveling again so I ended up doing commerce because it was short um, <clears throat> and that was a, a lot of fun and then I worked for a little while with the government in sort of financial roles, advice roles, um, but pretty quickly realised that although the, the course at uni was pretty pretty good fun, working in commerce wasn't, um, or particularly in, in government commerce wasn't really for me. Mm-hmm. I had the opportunity, though, to work in an area that did um, stamp duty assessments, so in a revenue department up in the Territory. And while I was doing that, I had to do do some assessment work and I thought wow this is great fun which is quite perverse because stamp duty assessment isn't normally what it doesn't sound know. thrilling I have it's to a say area of law um but uh, but after doing doing a few of those I thought right that's my path I'm gonna go back to uni and um and study law and so I did and and that took a few years and uh, it was back to Canberra where I'd grown up to to finish off uni after starting the law degree up in Darwin um, so I finished that off. That was great fun. Started working in Canberra. And, um, but I had a young family at the time and law can be a fairly demanding profession. Mm. And I found that I was increasingly spending time at work and not at home with my, my wife and young son. So I had another change of heart and decided that I'd, I'd leave that job and go back to uni and do some research. And that enabled us to move away from Canberra and out to a little town called Holbrook, mm-hmm. where my wife comes from. And that was really, really nice in terms of lifestyle to live on a little farmhouse and spend a lot of time with, with Kate and Spencer and um, a fairly slow, relaxed pace of life. But um, being a research student at, at uni as the as the the sole income earner at the time wasn't didn't make for a particularly um comfortable lifestyle financially so i had to get a job basically and <laughs> so i just looked around around holbrook and started contacting law firms to to find a job um ended up back in in wagga working for a firm here for a while but after about five years so at that stage i'd been practicing for about seven i suppose um all up I increasingly was looking at the way that we practice law and not 
been particularly fond of it, both mm. from the perspective, well, my perspective as an employed lawyer, but more so from the perspective of our clients mm. um, and seeing problems in how our clients are engaging us and seeing a lot of pain points and complaints and areas of dissatisfaction. Yeah. So at about the same time as I was seeing those things, uh, the the my now partner, Nick, he was in the office next door and he was also seeing some of the same things. And we increasingly had conversations around, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? Wouldn't it be great if we did that? And hey, wouldn't clients love it? And wouldn't it just be a much better service if we did it this way? And of course, those kind of conversations go on for a while. And the yeah. obvious conclusion is, and if we we can either keep doing things the way our um, employers wanted us to, which is fine, traditional law firm, successful kind of normal law firm model, um, or we can go out on our own and and start to explore some of these ideas and yeah, do it our way. So we decided to do that, and that was about five years ago, and we haven't looked back since then. It's it's so cool. And from having um, conversations with you previously, like uh, it's something I can completely resonate with as well in the accounting world. It's very, very, um, it's going to sound very judgmental, but it's very cookie cutter. A lot of firms are very cookie cutter. It's very transactional. Um, and when I speak to clients and when I speak to um, friends who are business owners and, you know, just the, the general feeling I get myself is that, Yes, we need the professional services of accountants, of, of lawyers, but at the same time, we need more, but we don't always know what we need, do we? Mm. So um, we just kind of feel like I know certainly sometimes like tra the transactions of when we pay these professionals can just feel a bit icky and can feel a bit like, <laughs> you know, I, I can't find the proper words for it, but yeah. that's the sort of vibe that I got when we had our sort of first conversation that you sort of felt the same with, with the legal profession as well. So how do you do things differently? Um do you mean in the in the generic sense or how do we do things differently? How do you how do you your your firm do things differently? Um before we move to that, I want to make an observation. It's because you see it in the accounting industry and I see it in law and we see it in other industries. And part of it is because there's this par or this standard or or um culture or norms of how these firms operate. And there are differences and increasingly in both accounting and law, we're seeing um, <clears throat> modern or, or new firms um, crop up like ours that do things a bit differently. But because of these norms, it can be quite challenging for individuals and indeed groups of people to shift away from those norms. And one of the challenges is revenue because quite often change can be expensive. So there's a tendency for individuals and organisations to before evaluating really the, the merit in any kind of change, they're asking, well, how much will this cost me? Mm -hmm. And so for, for me, one of the really liberating things and challenging things was as a however old I was, mid-30s, mid, mid, -30s, um, mid to late 30s when I left my last quite secure role with a firm and, and, um, and yeah, quite secure role there, to go from there to literally zero income and being at that age and going into Centrelink and saying I'm starting a new business and need income support for a period of time was quite frightening in some ways yeah. um, to take that leap. But what it meant was Nick and I were starting literally from scratch. We didn't have a single, at that stage, we didn't have a single client. We didn't have a single um, document. We didn't have a logo. We didn't have a premises. We didn't have we didn't have a firm name. We didn't have anything. So it meant that we could um, we could make those decisions without any legacy except our own experiences, of course. Mm. And some of those experiences were positive and some were negative. Um, but it meant that we had a blank blank slate, clean yep. slate to start. Clean slate, blank canvas. Yep. We can mix them up. <laughs> so I think it's important to 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 make that observation because the question about, well, how do you do things differently rather than just looking at what are the things you do differently? What was the context that enabled us to do things differently? Mm. And it was starting with literally nothing at all. So um, you had the time, I'm going to, sorry, I'm totally jumping in, but you had the time to really think about and really consider every aspect of the firm you were creating and, and how you wanted to interact with your clients and, that, and everything. That's, that's, that's exactly right. And in fact, we'd, 
prior to starting the firm, one of the one of the processes we went through was talking to each other about some of the philosophical and values dimensions about what we we're going to do, because it was important for us, um, given our experience as lawyers, we'd seen a lot of partnerships and small businesses fall over because the owners um, didn't align particularly well. So yep. the first question for us was, we knew each other reasonably well, but what are the things that are going to be important to you, Reese, and to you, Nick, and are those things um, consistent? Can they coexist? And that was a really important step. So what we did have when we started, I shouldn't say it was an entirely blank slate, clean slate, <laughs> was an understanding of the values and the philosophy that would underpin all the more practical decisions that we made going forward. Mm. So the important. First, the first of those values, sorry, second of those values, is exceptional customer service. And a lot of professional services industries forget about that because they don't have to think about it because yep. there is there is a, um, a demand side, oh, sorry, support, supply side shortage of these kind of services, particularly out in regional areas. So a lot of firms don't need to think about it. They'll continue to get by virtue of opening the doors they can continue to be quite profitable and quite successful. But for us, the starting point is always had to be customer service. Um, so from that point, we looked at one important area. Uh, we looked at a lot of important areas, but one important area was pricing and how we price and the, the financial side of what we do. Most professional services uh, organisations work on an hourly billing We've all heard of that, accountants, you know, et cetera, work on our hourly billing. It's a hopeless way to work. It's a terrible way to work. And it's a terrible way to be billed as well. Yep. The idea that you would pay someone or agree to pay someone X hundred dollars for an hour for an undetermined number of hours is just crazy. Yep. It's crazy to sign up to, you know, what might be... You know, a bill that you have, have no concept of is just crazy. Um, oh, it blew my mind that so many clients would do that. Uh, so so our, our first step was how, how, are we going to, how are we going to bill? We've never recorded a, an hour of time. And, and I bet your never, staff love you for that. <laughs> they, look, it, it's, it's interesting because we're so used to it now that we forget. So when, when, we, when we speak to our lawyers that have come from traditional backgrounds, they say, oh, yeah, it's great. The day of, and they agree they'll never do it again either. Yeah. Um, because it's a fairly soul destroying activity. But for a client as well, well, we'll give a client a quote and the client has the opportunity to say yes or no. And it's the same as in, in most other non professional service industries. Like if you're getting a house built or getting some construction work done, for the most part, you're going to want a quote so you know what you're paying. That's exactly right. You know, you either know that because they're fixed price things, so you can either go from their website or their store or their, you know, menu, socials, whatever, and you can say, right, I'm going to get this product or this service and it costs me this much. Or if it's a little bit outside of that, like you say, you know, a sparky, a carpenter, a plumber, you might say, can I have a quote for this? They come and they that you have a chat about the job and they'll say it's going to cost you roughly this. Um, and, and, yeah, as you say, that's typically how... Um, non-professional business works. Yeah, and and for me, that's how I'd want to engage somebody. I'd want to know up front because it might be that it might be that the customer doesn't like the price, and that's and that's okay. But we know up front. The problem with the traditional model is that you don't know that until you've sent the bill, mm. and then you've got a, a, an upset or angry client who's seen a bill that they didn't expect and is much more than they they want to pay. But you've done the work, so you want to get paid for the work that you've done. So it's, it's a real, um, it's a weight off our shoulders that we never have to sell, send bills that um, clients don't expect. I should clarify that every now and again, there's an exception to every rule and yeah. we'll send a bill where we weren't able to properly quote it beforehand. But our philosophy is if you haven't agreed to the bill, then we're not going to hold you to it. So we've said to clients in the past, look, we, we couldn't quote this, but here's what, here's what the amount is we're going to bill. But if you don't think that's reasonable, then you can raise that and we can talk about what you think is reasonable because we don't, we don't think it's right to, um, to ask someone to pay something and indeed force somebody to pay a bill that they haven't agreed to in advance. 
that's quite a disruptive way of thinking, isn't it? Like you said, like before, like, I, I, you know, I'm, I've come from the accounting background, you've come from the, the legal background, and we've said, you know, the very traditional ways that businesses are run. So to, to go out there and be this disruptive, and, and it, it is, isn't it? It's very, very different to how traditional firms work. It, it's, it's, it's really going out on a limb, isn't it? It's either like this is going to be freaking phenomenal and be so successful or we are going to crash and burn. <laughs> so how do you keep yourself going? Um, you know, those first, few, those first few months, that first 12 months when you're getting yourself established and, and building that name for yourself? Uh, how do you mean? Well, you know, like in, in terms of um, when you're, you know, you're going to work every day and it's like, right, is today going to be the day we get our first client? You know, what were some of the things that you and Nick did to yeah. um, keep, your, keep your morale up, keep the momentum moving forward to build that client base? Oh, look, <clears throat> we didn't need to keep morale or enthusiasm. We were starting, starting a new business is, is a bit like, it's a bit like art and it's a bit like sport. Um, but it's not quite either of those things. It's an intensely creative um, out, output, outlet, activity, uh, and much like art reflects the artist, the business does reflect you as the business owner. Um, and it's like sporting that there is a degree of competitiveness to it. And so, look, our biggest biggest problem was, you know, we've got to put a cap on cap on how much time we spend because we both have young families and we were clear from the start we we don't want to fall into the same boat as most traditional firms do where people end up overworked and stressed so we continually come back to we don't want to work more than 45 hours a week now we don't always achieve that and often we don't achieve that but it's always there as our as a goal that we've got mm. Um, if you didn't have it there as a goal, you'd be consistently doing 60, 70 hours a week. At least, you know, if you've got the odd 50-hour week or whatever it might be, you've got then that check to pull you back in, don't you? That's, you've that's got right. To, you've got to have the goal there as the, the basis point sort of thing. That's right. So it was never difficult to find enthusiasm. It was it was difficult to curb it somehow. <laughs> um, and in terms of building the client base, it was one of those things which we had some um, activities that, that we were going to focus on in terms of our business development. But I remember when our first client came along and it just came, this client came out of the blue. It was a referral from a, the, I think a brother of a previous client we had, or there was a relationship there, but it was a very indirect relationship. And, mm. um, and they got in touch and said, Oh, these, these people need some advice about something. And so we ended up sitting around a, a, a dining room table uh, one day talking about this particular business um, issue that they were having and they're still clients of ours today. Um, we've done done various things for the, for them over the years. So and then it kind of snowballs. It's it's interesting. People talk about starting a business and and you know the difficult side and putting aside that, that there is you know a huge amount of decisions to make and interesting things to do and different choices to make. But a business comes down to really one thing you having a product or service that someone's willing to pay for. Mm. If you've got that, it doesn't matter if you're mowing lawns as a 12-year-old or selling lemonade on the side of the road or whatever, you know, giving your dad a back scratch for two bucks or something. <laughs> uh, but that's, all, that's all, that all that's involved is a product or service that someone's willing to pay for. And yeah. it's interesting how that snowballs. If you do that job well for somebody, um, and we've all read about, you know, the marketing commentary about finding people that will be your champions or your tribe that appreciate the way that you do things. Um, and they become the, the basis for more work because there are a lot of firms doing things traditionally and quite often it's not satisfactory for the client sometimes it is and that's fine we don't we don't want every client in town we just absolutely want... then you'd be working over your 45 hours a week <laughs> exactly we want the ones that click with us and that's a real leap of faith as well that we don't have to work for every single client and we um we relatively regularly decline to work or um yeah, decline to work for clients where we don't think we've got the right relationship or they've got different values than we do. Um, if clients are interested in, um, uh, in different clients have different needs and different expectations of their service providers and they don't necessarily all match up with us. Mm. Um, and, that's, and that's perfectly fine. 
Now, I think the the traditional view, just changing gears just a little bit, and, and, I, and I know, again, this is something that we've spoken about before as well. The traditional view, you told me a story one time where you were saying that, you know, you're introduced to someone at a networking event and the common common line is, so now you know where to go when you get into trouble sort of thing. And what, what elaborate to the listeners what your response is to that and, and what, therefore, you, you can do for a small business client. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, my response now sometimes is just to smile and nod. Um, because I've, I think I mentioned to you, I've had people that that understand what our business is that I've known for a long time that might have been clients, and they still say that you know, oh, this is who you call if you get into trouble, or, or if I get a DUI charge or something like that, you know who to call. Um, but we're constantly having to educate our clients about what our service is because that is the traditional view of a lawyer, somebody who goes to court, somebody who does criminal work, somebody who sadly does family work, um, family law work. But what people don't generally see, um, unless they are in business and unless, they're, um, and unless they've had the need, is that there is a range of areas of law that are in the advice and transaction space that we just never go to court. We don't need to go to court. Mm. Um, and and when, when issues come up that might even look like a dispute, we send that work to somebody else who's a disputes expert. So what our f- practice focuses on, and this was one of, one of the decisions that we made from the start, what do we want to do? We didn't want to be a general service firm because... Uh, that And that decision has two parts to it. One is it's not good for clients. General service lawyers, um, there is just too much to get across yep. to be able to give really, really good, um, up-to-date, contemporary advice about everything. It's just too much. Yeah. Um, it's why, like in, in the medical profession, you see a GP, but they send you to a specialist. Um, so we knew we didn't want to do everything because you can't do everything well, and that's fairly fairly obvious the other thing is when you try and do everything well it just does your head in it creates a lot of stress creates a lot of extra work it means that you question your um your credibility so we decided we want to focus so our focus is on advice and transactions work across three relatively narrow areas and that's in in property work in uh, commercial work, so commercial business work, and in estate planning and, and administration. And even across those areas, there's probably probably enough in each, each of those three buckets for all of the people we've got working with us to just specialise in one of those areas. Mm-hmm. And there is a, you know, there's we wax and wane about the sense in doing that. Um, there's a, a certain level of expertise and, and strength that you get from really focusing on, in on one area as opposed to, you know, it's the same as someone doing everything. You know, you can be better at doing one thing than you can at doing three things. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So then for your, if, if, there's, if there's someone who is listening to this, you know, thinking, well, I'm, I'm a small business, I'm, I'm a sole trader, I've been operating for a few years now, you know, I, I, I wonder... I wonder what a, a legal professional can do for me. And what are, what are some of the things that people come to you wanting advice for? And, and what are perhaps, what are some of the things that, that you could put out there as being sort of proactive things that business owners can do so that they don't find themselves having to come to you in trouble sort of thing? Sure. And it's a really interesting observation you just made, coming in trouble. That's quite often, although they're not in criminal trouble, uh, Um, quite often people come to see us about business and commercial advice where something has come up that's caused some pain or caused a problem or a potential problem. So really what we do is we look at the way that individuals and organisations interact with other individuals and organisations. So that's across a range of areas. Could be, there's relatively obvious points like buying and selling things. Whenever businesses buy or sell, there's a there's a role for a lawyer to play um, relationships with employees relationships with um, the clients of the business themselves so for example um, if you're running a business offering a particular service what's the way that you relate with your client and usually again it's when pe- people get in trouble and they say 
the client didn't pay. They're arguing about what, what we did for them. Um, we say we completed the job. They say we haven't. And there's some uncertainty. So where we can come in is creating certainty in the relationship between a business and its client. Now, obviously, that's not going to be very useful in, for example, a retail sense, because the relationship with the, the purchaser is not particularly complex. But in small services businesses or pardon me, or some goods businesses, that becomes a lot more important mm. um, in contracting organisations. So particularly in uh, spaces where the work is being increasingly subcontracted. So if you think of construction, for example, or health services, where the, there is a, a large organisation that is paying a medium-sized organisation to do a job, and then that medium-sized organisation is paying a, another medium or smaller organisation to do a job. That's a typical sort of scenario that we get involved in because our client, who's usually the, the middle organisation, has a relationship with head contractors, a relationship with subcontractors that they need to line up. Now, my, many people or most of our clients who are in business, they're very, very good at what they do in terms of their core service, but what they're not good at and what they don't want to waste their time doing is reading contracts. Yeah. Where we can provide, a, where I think not just us, but a, a, good, a good lawyer can provide a huge amount of value is not just looking at something once, you know, looking at a, a, a contract, I've got this problem or I've got a question, can you look at this? this issue for me once and answering a question, but over time, getting to know the client's business so that when something comes across the client's desk or comes up in their, in their day that they're not sure of, that they know they should address, they can just ring up and say, what's the issue here? I've got this, got this concern. Can you resolve the concern for me? Um, for example, a client got in touch recently and said, oh, I'm going to send you this email. Can you just have a quick look at it? Um, now, it was something that concerned the client uh, in their business and they needed to resolve it in their own mind. They knew it needed resolving. And in that particular instance, it was just a case of you don't have to worry about this. This isn't yeah. a problem for you. You can ignore it. Um, now, I couldn't have given that advice unless I knew intimately what the client's business was and understood the documents they were working with and the kind of counterparties they worked with. Uh, but it's like when you go to a doctor, you go to a doctor and say, I've got all these problems. I say, ah, don't, don't worry about it. It's just, it's normal. It could be a range of things, but none of the things are things you need to worry about at the moment. I think I think you just struck on a really great point there, haven't you? So in, in answering my question as to what a small business owner can do um, that's proactive, then perhaps it start to build relationships with with a, a, a trusted group of people like people again this is something we've spoken about before like having that group of people around you that you can you don't have to be intimidated by the letter or the email that's come across your desk and you just keep snoozing it or um, putting it aside into your intake because you don't want to think about it because it's too scary you know if you've just if you've got people that you can just go hey can you just run your eyes over this for me and then you might you might look at it and you go actually you know this is going to require us to sit down and have a conversation and that's that's where you then say you know it's it's going to cost you roughly this um and and the client decides whether they do or do not go about it. But, you know, like like in that example there, it was just sort of a, a five, 10 minutes worth of reading for you and a two-minute response back, and it just puts that client's mind at ease. So I think there's there's real value in creating relationships with lawyers, with with accountants, with with financial planners and things, isn't it? That network of professionals who can be there when um, when needed. That's right. And you've hit, you've hit the nail on the head talking about the relationship, establishing a relationship with a professional that you can trust to have input on, in on your business when, when needed. And if you look across large organisations, there's a reason why there's an Office of General Counsel or a General Counsel in most big board dare I say, every big company. Um, there's a reason why we have attorneys general and solicitors general in government. There's, there's a role there for the organisation to have their go-to person um, with, a, with an existing relationship where that go-to person knows the organisation's activities and what it does and how it does it and contribute. And every time we um, do a job for one of our ongoing clients, we get better at doing the job 
and our client gets more confidence in our ability to do the job. Mm. So you're dead right in saying, just go and find somebody, somebody that you can start building the relationship with that when issues come up that might have a legal dimension to it, you can get in touch with them really quickly and you're not saying, ringing up a reception and saying, I'd like to make an appointment because I need to talk to a lawyer and wondering, am I going to get the right lawyer? Am I going to like them? Are they, are they going to have the experience I need? Yeah. Um, and one of the really uh, great things about the way that we do our our role for business clients is we do look at it like we're the general counsel, even though we've got many, many different clients, we try to provide that same level of service. And part of that is a client might have an issue that's outside our area of expertise, much like a general counsel would refer it out to a private firm to get further expert advice. We do the same thing where we will refer work for our clients onto different lawyers to help out if we deem that that kind of expertise is necessary. Sometimes we stay involved. Sometimes we just make an introduction so that the client knows they're getting somebody with credibility involved. Yeah. And that, that, that just goes to show, doesn't it, how that, um, how that networking and building relationships just expands, you know, as a, as a small business owner in general, in whatever industry or, or field or profession we're in, yes, build the relationships with the people that we know down the track we're going to need to call on. So accountants, solicitors, financial planners. Um, but then have other people who are maybe subsidiary to us or um, complementary to us so that we stay focused, like you were talking about earlier, we stay focused on that thing that we do, that thing that we're good at, rather than kind of getting dragged into, oh, I'll kind of just help this client out over here. You know, we might feel like we're helping them, but actually we're spreading ourselves thinner and then maybe we're not giving what we need to to them or to our other clients as well. So there's real value in, in referring work on, isn't there, as well? Absolutely, absolutely. And and it's about, I think, at the core of it, it's about trust. Um, and I know that when problems come up for me, uh, not legal problems, but other other problems, I, I can refer that, not refer, but I can engage with and contact the trusted advisors that I have and say, here's the problem, tell me what to do. Mm. Tell me whether I need to worry. Tell me whether I can do this thing or not. Um, and being able to engage those people and having the people in my network um, and much like we offer to our clients, I, I don't second guess the advice I get of, you know, the, the people that I send my problems to. Um, I've got a relationship with them. I, I trust them. They're across their area. I don't get advice and then get online and Google what the answer is is to see if they're right or don't google the answer first i just send it off to them and that's that's a much more sophisticated and much more um effective way of working that i'm not going to try and solve an accounting problem or an engineering problem or a surveying problem or anything like that that just gets sent straight off to the people who do that work and you know you pay for pay for those kind of services but i know i've made the best decision possible by engaging them when those issues come up I think there's lessons there on on two levels, isn't there? There's like one, the the professional level, and and you as a as a business owner and providing the best quality service to your clients, but also as a human being running a business with a young family and how you manage your time and manage that juggle um, between the two. And you know, we can sort of. Um, and this is something I've spoken about to, to other male guests that I've interviewed as well. In as much as that the whole work-life balance, parenting, working, running a business juggle can be seen so much as a, a female issue, but it's not just a female issue. Is it? There's two parents in families and, and that whole how I split my time, how can I use my time most effectively is just as important in the dad role as well, isn't it? Oh, absolutely it is. And and look, I think tradition when I say traditionally, you don't have to look far to hear stories of men um, being extremely committed and good at what they do, but not getting the balance right. And that ends up in separations, ends up in poor relationships with children, ends up, let's face it, ends up in poor health. Um, but and if that's what if that's what a person's seen when they grow up, that's potentially all they know but certainly no it's not a um it's not a 
solely female challenge and it's one that, that really is a challenge because pardon me because we have different different pressures on us and it's impossible to to um to compare or rather difficult to prioritize between a, a need that your child or spouse has and a need that a client has now obviously family always comes first mm. but i've also got a business to run because one of the ways that my family comes first is that i'm providing for my family so i could be a 100 percent stay-at-home dad but we might have some trouble paying the bills yeah when, when my wife's also a stay-at-home mum. We, <laughs> we, we can't both be at home. Um, so finding finding that balance is a really challenging thing sometimes when, you know, uh, but the five o'clock question, do I, do I do this one more thing? Do I respond to one more email? Do I finish this job off now or do I do it tomorrow? And it's really easy. And, you know, that 45-hour-a-week comment earlier goes to this issue as well. It's really easy to when you don't have a hard deadline to meet at the end of the day to spend another 15 minutes or 20 minutes, but then it does cut into time with the family. Now, five minutes, five, 10 minutes here or there is fine, particularly if there's a, a swings and roundabouts where you finish up a bit early the following day. Yeah. Or um, where an extra five or 10 minutes today would save an hour tomorrow because you've got to get your head back into it and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. The, you know, a few minutes where you're already focused is, is time well spent. But you have, well, I think for me, I have to make it up on the other side as well. Mm. So I, I'm not going to have a, a flexible finishing time, but have a, a really fixed starting time every day. And so I don't beat myself up if I come into the office at, at or a bit after nine, as long as I make the first meeting of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't get particularly stressed in the morning anymore about being late but certainly I've been there where where I've I've found myself getting quite anxious about gee because it's getting close to 8 30 or whatever whatever time I decided was starting time for that day and come on kids hurry up we need to get moving um but you step back from that and say well hang on a minute I I run my own business mm. I'm not affecting a client I'm not affecting the team I can afford rather it's okay to have some flexibility around time on either end um, because, yeah, it has to be a give and take there. Absolutely. I think those boundaries and those those ground rules, boundaries, whatever we want to call it, whatever word resonates for us are really important, aren't they? And, and like you said before, you know, you, you don't hold yourself religiously to 45 hours a week, but you've got that in the back of your mind. So you're always you're always thinking about it. And I think that's really good advice for people as well, you know, not to be so hung up on you know if you set yourself a goal or if you set yourself a target or if you set yourself a boundary and you don't quite hit it like it's not something to then punish ourselves for and and totally unravel everything that we've done it's just okay all right well you know all right I did 50 hours this week maybe I'll do 40 next or yeah. whatever you know and just and just be a bit more um, flexible and willing to go with the flow, perhaps. I think that's right. And when you think about the things that are important to worry about, um, it's, it's quite an, it's an interesting analysis. What am I worrying or getting anxious about? And is that helpful for me? Because we talk a lot about anxiety these days and anxiety is an okay thing if it's helpful anxiety. You know, mm. For a lot of people, they don't have a choice about what kind of anxiety they, they are faced with. But in business and as a parent, there are things where it's really helpful to worry. So what are the, what are the kind of values that I want or I'm deciding um, are going to create anxiety for my life? And if you think about that question about giving yourself a break about, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour here and there, it's, it's okay. As long as you're operating in a value consistent, values consistent way. What I mean is when you think about who do I want to be as an employee, uh, an employer rather, as a service provider, as an advisor, as a parent, as a spouse, as a son, as a, you know, all of those roles that I play in my life, who do I want to be? And what are the values that I want to bring? Mm -hmm. And what I don't want to be is, um, for example, I don't want to be thinking about work and only half listening when my kids are talking to me. 
I also don't want to be thinking about my kids when my clients are talking to me. Yeah. I don't want to be too busy to speak to my team or to my business partner. And I don't want to be too cranky to be nice to my, or stressed to be nice to my spouse. Yeah. So how then do I achieve that? And what sort of, what sort of actions can, what sort of things can I worry about to achieve that? And five, five plus five, that kind of thing, that's, you know, that doesn't help me achieve those kind of value consistent objectives. Being flexible, it can. Um, but then conversely, being hopeless with the calendar, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> you know, there's, there's flexibility and there's complete anarchy. Um, and there's, you know, sometimes a fine line between between the two. It's all so, a balance, isn't it? <laughs> oh, so, and that's me holding a mirror up. So the thing that I can worry about is being a bit better with my calendar to make sure that if I've got a um, family event or an internal team event that that I don't miss those things. Yeah. Um, the same way that I don't miss a client meeting. Yes, absolutely. I love it. I love it. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot and, and wrap the question back around to um, back around to pro tips and advice to, to finish up with. If you could give, uh, and I'll say three, but you know, if it's two, if it's four, whatever, doesn't matter tips to a small business owner. Um, so coming from your legal perspective, things that they can do to ensure that they are sort of setting themselves up as best they possibly can or, you know, are operating as best they possibly can, what would your, what would your top tips be? Um, my first tip would be, it is putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, what's on the tip of my tongue is get yourself a lawyer. <laughs> um, and I don't just mean get a lawyer, get yourself a group of advisors that you can trust as soon as possible and then focus on the things that you're good at and where you can bring the most value to your business. So I've got a, I've got a background in commerce and I, I understand accounting, studied at uni, but there's little utility in me trying to answer an accounting question. Yes. It's, not, it's not my where my highest value is. So don't waste your time. Once you, once you have... Um, uh, adequate revenue, of course, to pay for these services. Don't waste your time trying to do a backyard job of something. Just focus on doing the thing that you're good at and that people pay you to do. Mm. So in order to be able to focus on those things, you need a team of people. So as early as possible, even if it's just, look, I want to meet the lawyer or the accountant or the other advisor, I might not have anything for you to do yet, but I want to meet you build a relationship or get the basis for a relationship and understand what you lawyer and accountant and other advisor, what you can do for me. Yeah. Um, because we'll, we'll tell you, we'll, we'll sit down and, you know, and, and everyone in professional services will sit down and they'll be able to tell you what they can do to help, even if you don't need it yet, but they can flag in the future. These are the things, the services I can sell to you because we're here. We're not charities. We're here to make money. Exactly. And, and you're a potential client who's going to be potentially paying our bills. So we're happy to spend some time and, um, and start. And, and I also think, I, I also think professional service firms actually need to do that, don't they? Because we can walk into a cafe and we can see the products that are there. We can walk into a shop and we can see the products that are there. When you walk into to a lawyer's office or, or I keep bringing it back to accounting because it's the same, like you don't, you don't know, like people, we don't know, um, necessarily what what services and what help are there so sometimes we have to sing from the rooftops don't we and just sort of say hey look you know this is how we can help that's right and look I've had a, a recent experience where I was invited to speak to a prospective client and it was essentially what can you do for us what can <coughs> pardon me what we've we've got a couple of things that we think you might be able to help with but how else can you help us and that was really great and the first question is I need to understand what you're doing mm. um, and hear about your business to then understand how I can help. Yeah. Um, so three tips. First was focus on what you're good at. Second, um, in order to do that, very quickly build relationships with a team of, of trusted advisors. And if I can go to three tips, 
I think understand the values that are going to drive your decisions mm. because there are difficult decisions and um, competing interests which you need to weigh up. And that, that you know, family time, work time is a competing interest which is very, very difficult to weigh up. And like we talked about, you don't want to be a slave to a five o'clock finish or an 8.30 start or whatever it is. We're, we work for ourselves when you're in small business. You're the boss. Um, so what are the values that I'm going to bring to bear when I'm trying to juggle these competing interests? Mm. And, and that's a deeply personal sort of activity. And there are different, there's different frameworks and guidance out there about understanding your values. Uh, but I think it's really important to think about those things because they'll help you to, to juggle the competing interests. They'll help you make difficult decisions in your business. They'll, they'll help you be a better service provider, um, in my view. 100%. It, it's something that I focus on a lot. I talk about um, with my clients, I talk about values being the guiding compass. You know, um, our, our vision is where we're heading. Our mission is how we're getting there. But our values are are the guiding compass and they're the things that help keep us on track because we are going to have um, opportunities. We're going to have projects. We're going to have distractions. We're going to have challenges. We're going to have things, all sorts of things throughout our lives, both business related and personal that have got the potential of pulling us off track, haven't we? And so when we've got that set of criteria that we know this is what is important to me, um, this is how I make a decision, it, it, it really stands us in good stead. It does. And it, and it helps you communicate particularly internally, um, also externally, but communi communicate with the team how we want we want our team to think about things. And yeah. we spend a lot of time with the team talking about what are our values, how we, um, how we act in a way that's consistent with them, how we can do better, um, because we've seen values talked about before in particularly larger organisations, and they're just lip service on the wall, and nobody yep. really knows what they mean, and nobody changes their behavior what they what value should be doing is guiding your behavior and ultimately and, and my partner nick quite often says your values aren't values if they don't cost you some time and and it's really true that if you've got a set of values and they don't cost you anything they're not really values at all and we every now and again have things come up where for us to act in a values consistent way will financially cost us and that that's okay Mm, that's a really that's a really great point there I think to, to end on I could keep going but I'm conscious of your time <laughs> thank you so much Reese. if people have been listening to this thinking right I'm going to like you know I'm going to implement something I've learned from this conversation and I'm going to reach out and start to build a relationship with a legal professional how might they do that with you <laughs> they can contact me um, either by email or at Reese R-H-Y-S, at bowerwood.com.au or just jump on the website, bowerwood.com.au and that's B-O-W-E-R-W-O-O-D. Fabulous. I'll post the links in the show notes of this episode as well so anyone Pretty can jump on and find you easily. Thank you so much. It has been a fabulous conversation and it's, it's been a really nice blend of, uh, of pro tips and real talk. And I think, you know, it's, it's um, been a really valuable conversation. So I trust everyone has got some fabulous, fabulous gold out of it. So thank you so much for your time. Beauty. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap for another episode of the Real Life Business Podcast. Thank you again so much to Reese. It was a fabulous conversation. And I'd love to know what you took away from, from this episode. For me, I think probably the biggest thing that was stand out to me was knowing what we're good at, knowing what we want to do and who we want to serve and how we want to do it. It's our business and we don't need to be dictated by the market. We don't need to be dictated by what people want. If that's not what we want to do, then, you know, if we're doing everything that everyone else wants us to do, then we're not going to ever feel satisfied in our business. Now, obviously, that comes with a bit of a caveat in that we can't just go out there and create this business that no one wants. You know, Reese, Reese said, if we have a product or a service that someone wants to pay money for, then we have a business. Um, so I think we've got to start there. But from that point, we can filter and fine tune and, and make sure that we are operating a business that we want and that is going to make us happy. And I certainly know for me personally, that has been one of the single most important things 
for me to feel balanced and fulfilled because whenever I have taken an opportunity or accepted a piece of work that sort of goes against one of my values or goes against my gut instinct, I've instantly regretted it. Um, and then, then, then receiving the money just kind of feels icky. So I, I love that point of doing the work that we love. On a more practical sense, I also love Reese's advice on building a team of trusted advisors around us. And like you said, we might not be ready. We might not be in a position to one, be able to afford or to even need the services of a, of a lawyer, an accountant, a financial planner, whatever it might be. But right at the beginning of our business, creating those relationships with those people make it much easier down the track to ask a quick question, seek some advice, get some help with something because we've already got that relationship there. So I think that was a great practical takeaway that we can we can all go and implement straight away. And the final thing that I loved about this conversation is, and it's something that I talk about a lot with my clients on my programs and things, is the importance of values. Sometimes I feel that we can be so caught up in the busy day-to-day of operating our business. Our minds are very focused on what I call the implementation stage, the, the doing, the whirlwind of busy, you know, and we're thinking about, right, how can I get more customers through the door? How can I improve my website? How can I improve my social media? How can I improve this? How, I've got, how can I do more of that? But sometimes what it takes is actually to stop and slow down and spend some time on the business rather than in it. How many times have we heard that? And getting really clear on our values and what's important to us is a great, as I said in the episode, a great guiding compass. It helps us make decisions. It helps us feel more confident about the decisions that we make because we know that they're in alignment with what's important to us and what's important to our business and what is going to help our business help us achieve our goals. So some great, great takeaways from that episode. I trust you have enjoyed it and we'll be back next week with the next one. You have been listening to the Real Life Business Podcast with me, Claire Marquick, bringing confidence, clarity and calm to the busy mum in business. Thank you so much for lending me your ears. It is much appreciated and I love to connect with you. I love to hear what you think and what you take away from these conversations. So what would be awesome for you to do right now is take a screenshot of wherever you are listening to this episode from and share it to your Instagram stories, tagging me at claremarkwick.reignite. And let's share this real life business message. Let's share this message that we can have the business that we want, the lifestyle that we want, and it doesn't have to drive us crazy in the process. I will be back in your ears really soon. And until then, bye-bye.